This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello and welcome everybody to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted that you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Rob Hayes. He's the CEO and president of Atom Computing. So Rob spent over 20 years in executive roles at two legendary technology companies, Intel and Lenovo. I'm going to ask him to talk more about that in a moment. His company, Atom Computing, is building quantum computers using individually controlled atoms as qubits that can be controlled optically without wires. So the company is the first to build nuclear spin qubits out of an alkaline earth element and has unveiled its first generation of quantum computing system, Phoenix, as a 100-atom system showcasing astonishing stability. The company believes that atoms provide a path towards truly scalable quantum computing. So, Rob, very warm welcome, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Nice to be here. I always like to start the podcast by asking each guest to share a bit about their quantum journey, so our listeners have a sense of what you did before you worked at Atom Computing. I especially like to use this not only to inform our listeners about who you are and what you've been doing, but also to potentially inspire the emerging quantum workforce that nobody or very few people sort of step directly into the quantum space, if you will, but have um, a journey, have a route that gets them to where they are in quantum. So tell me a bit about your your background. I'm always curious to know, know where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, maybe a little bit about what you did at Intel and Lenovo, what kind of roles you were in. And then ultimately, what drove you to get involved in quantum computing? Well, uh, great. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, both my parents were entrepreneurs. My father owned a software company, and my mother owned a temporary employment agency. And uh, I went to school where my father did at Georgia Tech and studied computer engineering. Cool. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Had a really good time there. Um, worked hard and played hard. And uh, when I, I kind of focused on microprocessor design as part of my curriculum there. And when I graduated, I um, wanted to take those skills and apply them. And so I went to work at Intel Corporation in California uh, right out of school. So I got in my uh, Mustang convertible. I didn't have anything but the top <laughs> yeah. down and just uh, drove across the country and wow. started work a couple of weeks later. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. So um, so I thought I'd be at Intel just a few years, but uh, 21 years later, huh. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I, you know, it was a hard place to leave because it was a yeah. good place to work. What a great um, company. I mean, legendary, right? I mean, yeah, truly. I mean, it's truly a nat- national treasure, I think, um, yeah. here in the United States and, and for the world. Did a lot of great things. You know, it was a, it was a, a lot of smart people um, doing really big things and the opportunities were abundant there. And uh, so there's really yeah. no reason to leave. You know, I did lots of different roles, engineering, applications, engineering, technical marketing, product marketing, management, that kind of stuff. Um, most of my career was kind of in the product management um, train in both networking and computing. And um, eventually yeah. for like the last third of my career there, I was I was running the Xeon um, processor roadmap and product line. Wow. And uh, yeah, and that was great because I was getting to work kind of deeply with a lot of the, you know, the, the big cloud service providers as they were growing their business, as well as enterprise IT customers, OEMs. Cool. And then um, went to Lenovo, right? So and- Yeah, I went to Lenovo. Opportunity kind of knocked. And um, I went mm-hmm. to go work for a former kind of top Intel executive who was, who was the group president at Lenovo running the mm-hmm. uh, server business there. And uh, I was chief strategy officer at Lenovo. 
you know, helping kind of set this, the long-term strategy, working with different startup technology companies to look at opportunities to integrate their technology into our portfolio, um, hmm. as well as, you know, go-to-market partnerships and things like that. And it was, it was very fun. Um, and in, the, in that kind of role, I, I came across Atom Computing as we were looking at quantum and other accelerators and other kind of advanced technologies for compute. Yeah. And, and, uh, and got to know Ben and the team and saw what they were doing and saw how close they were to really making quantum computing something that was commercially viable. And they started looking for a CEO as they wanted to go commercialize the product line. I kind of raised my hand and joined the company. So how long ago was that? How long have you been at Adam? Well, I joined Adam in July of this year. I got engaged with them about a year ago. Yeah. Great. So exciting. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. I think, again, I think it's always good for listeners to hear, you know, how, what the process is and, and how it works. In terms of Adam, so who are the initial founders? It's, I think it's always interesting to our listeners, you know, how, where the, how these companies come about. Like, what was there an epiphany that kind of led the founders to launch the company or thinking they had an idea that was viable and marketable and valuable? Can you give us a little detail about how, how the company started? Yeah, absolutely. So Ben Bloom founded the company uh, in kind of mid, late 2018. He had gotten a postdoc at University of Colorado Boulder, um, where he was working with neutral atoms um, and building the world's most accurate atomic clock at the time. And after he did his postdoc studies there, uh, he went to go work at another quantum computing company that was doing super superconductors. And uh, he got really intrigued by, you know, the promise of quantum computing uh, and uh, some of the technologies that were being built at that company and others. And at the same time, in academia, there was a lot of work going on with it controlling individual atoms with the materials that he had gotten his postdoc in. And huh. he started to get really excited about the promise of building a scalable quantum computer using uh, neutral atoms and looked around for a company that was doing that, couldn't found, find one, so he founded one. And uh, he, his first, first hire was Jonathan King, who's our co-founder and our chief scientist. And Jonathan comes out of UC Berkeley, um, where he's got both a chemistry and a physics background. And together, they, they built the team and, and built the first 100-qubit system um, wow. that's running today. Well, I love the idea that he looked around and didn't see anyone doing it, so he decided to do it. So that's, uh, exactly. that's the right approach, for sure. You certainly have extensive experience you know, at Lenovo and Intel building technology roadmaps. Um, for a range of settings, including data centers and processor development, like Xeon, and uh, well, services. So wondering how you're applying those skills to building roadmaps at Atom. The idea is this is such a nascent technology. I'm sure there's stuff you can leverage, you know, what's similar and what's different in this in this new technology? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, I think the the kind of the product management aspects are completely applicable you know what one computing company using one sort of technology the way you go about that process i think is very similar regardless of the technology um you know in general you just got to be really clear about what customers want what do they value right in computing performance per dollar whatever it is yeah and then what are the competitive offerings and, and you need to define requirements and and a you know specification for what you want to go build in a, in a way that meets those requirements it's competitive and the engineers can actually deliver it on schedule, right? So you kind of got to find yeah. the right fit for those three uh, kind of attributes, and then, and then once you have that, you've got to execute it, and then, and then you want to enable multiple routes to market. Typically, like computing, you know, you can sell a system, you can sell time on a system, you can sell outcomes or software. I mean, there's lots of different levels of the stack and routes to market, and so you kind of just got to define that, and at the end of the day, be partner-led, 
or customer-led and partner-friendly so that there's an ecosystem of innovation that gets built on top of your platform. Yeah, so great. So universality uh, to a large degree. Following on that thread, so congratulations, by the way, on your recent closing of Series A uh, round of funding. Thank you. Uh, and based on that, based on what you described sort of as the roadmap uh, models, you know, what what is on the horizon? What's next in terms of growing the company? You know, growing the company itself with the people, um, that's a big part of it, is adding um, or continuing to grow the engineering team. And that's really all disciplines of engineering as well as, um, you know, non-engineering roles as we start to get more towards commercial um, commercialization of our technology. We're also scaling the technology itself. Like 100 qubits is great, but there's not a lot that can be done on a 100 qubit system. Um, yeah. And so we're looking for thousands, tens of thousands and beyond. And we also need error correction um, so that we get the right answer. So it's very important. And then go go acquire customers and align with partners and you know go from there. That's, that's really the play. On these podcasts, I like to at least have some segment where we sort of drill down into the uh, more specifics around the technology. In an interview with uh, VentureBeat, you said that Atom Computing's approach is quite unique and that you're the first to build nuclear spin qubits out of an alkaline earth element. And as a result, the nuclear spin qubits allow coherence times that are orders and orders of magnitude larger than any of the other commercial systems out there. So can you describe for our listeners the nuclear spin qubit and your 100-atom system, Phoenix? Um, Sidebro, just to say, as a former corporate marketing guy, I love the term optical tweezers, which is uh, which was mentioned in the interview with you. So can you describe how the process works? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you if you you know you were to look at Phoenix, what you'd see is you'd see a, a small vacuum chamber that uh, we heat up to a few hundred degrees. Um, some some crystals. Uh, there's strontium is the the element that we use. Um, so we heat up the strontium crystals, and that kind of off gases a, a cloud of these atoms that are kind of floating around in free space and. And then we shoot laser beams into the um, through windows into the vacuum chamber, and it basically attracts the atoms and these optic what they call optical tweezers hmm. um, to to the points of light that we're putting in in there. And we do this in an array. Um, today it's a two D array. In the future it'll be a three D array. Wow. But you can just imagine these atoms kind of they're floating around in this gas, and and they 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 get stuck to these points of light um, that we place where we want them. And then we can use different colors of light and different light pulses to uh, excite the atoms and, and write the quantum gate information into the atoms. And then we read them out um, wirelessly with a camera. And we these atoms are very stable, right? They have, you know, we've, we've shown, we published a paper recently that show over 40 seconds of coherence time on the current system. We can, we can make that longer if we needed to, but that's plenty long that um, in order to do like error correction and things uh, in, the, in the quantum circuit. And then the system is basically controlled and and fed back, and the information is fed back into just a classical, you know, x86 server rack that sits next to it that runs our software stack, and and uh, it's, that's where the users interact with it through our API and so forth. Huh. Um, so it's very small, um, and this is one of the interesting things about this particular technology. It's all controlled wirelessly, and our our atoms are only a few microns, you know, single digit microns apart. So we can fit literally you can fit millions of of qubits into something that's that's less than a cubic millimeter in free space, and we don't have to worry about connecting wires or cables or it's operating at room temperature today. So it's it's you know scaling is fairly straightforward with this modality, um, and it's really just about controlling the light. Fascinating. That's what a, what an amazing approach. Really, quite quite unique, huh? As you say that. Uh, you know, that you saw the white space and and took advantage of it. 
Give me a sense of what your go-to-market strategy looks like. So when will you have a system publicly available? Is, is Phoenix uh, in the wings? Is it uh, When is it due to arrive? Yeah, um, so Phoenix is running today. Um, oh, cool. We we have uh, beta customers that are basically you know running or waiting to run their code on the system. Right now, most of the time on that system is used internally for you know performance tuning and getting up gate fidelities uh, and things like that, um, which is very important. So... Phoenix is really kind of our system to learn and kind of perfect the technology. We built in lots of flexibility so we can do lots of experimentation with it. We're already starting to design on our second generation system that'll be much larger and and obviously take the learnings from Phoenix as well as designing in some additional enhancements that we'd like to see in there. And that will be a product that will be publicly available as a service um, later in 2022. So available as a service. So people will um, get access and log in and run algorithms or... You got it. On Phoenix, yeah? Yep, yep. Cool. So we'll look for a press release or something maybe later in the year about when that's Yeah, we don't have a date, obviously, today, but um, we're we're working on the design now. We'll start assembling it soon, and, and we'll uh, – the second-generation system, and then that, that will be the one that we would make more publicly available. We, we intend Phoenix to be more just one-on-one, you know, customer interaction, um, yeah. not so much a public cloud service. So there's always a the question of interoperability, right? Lots of options in terms of – software developer kits. I'm wondering what which ones you plan to work with and are you building any of your own proprietary software as well? We do have proprietary software. The control systems, the operating system, the schedulers, compilers, all that is is obviously tuned and optimized for our machine. So that would be, you know, proprietary technology. But yeah. we will interface with third party developer kits and libraries and tool suites. Uh, we'll be very customer led. Uh, we've already ported a number of the leading ones onto our platform, but we aren't ready to announce publicly what those are yet. Um, since we don't have a, a a product that's available publicly, it doesn't make sense to really, you know, talk about the developer toolkit yet. Um, but right. but we'll basically support multiple, and we'll be very customer led and and partner friendly in that. So one of my passions is sort of workforce enablement, right? As a nonlinear, multimodal careerist, so I always like to get my guest take on the challenges you know, facing talent acquisition, if you will. So a company like Adam uh, Computing, you know, how do you go about recruiting for your company? And how do you see it trending in terms of what kinds of talent you will need to drive the business model in the future? Yeah, well, recruiting is easier than you might think, um, even though it's a very kind of a, <laughs> a nascent and specific market, if you will, if you want to call quantum computing a market. And, you know, there's lots of different technology companies looking at different layers of the stack. It, it, the resumes are, are coming in, which is a really great thing. And I think that's just a testament to the reputation of our team and the, and the um, results that we've delivered in, in a very short period of time as a company. Um, when we look at, like, what do we need moving forward, um, it's, it's people of all dis- disciplines, right? It's not yeah. just physicists or just quantum engineers, but it's mechanical engineers and, you know, Printed circuit board hardware engineers and FPGA logic engineers and software engineers and um, it's a complete stack, right? We're we're yeah. building the we're building the hardware and we're building the software that controls it and we're interfacing with third party uh, developer kits and applications and all that. So we've got to have ability to support customers. So it's uh, you know not to mention sales and GNA well, and all the other stuff, right? Yeah. So I mean, again, it's the challenge with this kind of I guess with any technology business, but it's Certainly with quantum being so tech and slash academia driven, I mean, are you finding, I guess you've got to mine both uh, academia and the private sector, right? For resources across a range of disciplines. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. And we, we, we do both, right? And we love to hire people that have worked at other quantum computing companies that have experience with other modalities or other, you know, higher order levels in the stack and software and so forth, because it just gives them, you know, we get the experience of the, what, what works well on those other modalities and how do we bring, um, you know, the, the experience and what works well into building on top of our technology. And so we really look for that and we've been fairly successful at getting people with a, a wide range of experience in quantum and not in quantum. Great. Well, congratulations on that. That's great. Yeah, it's definitely it's a burgeoning field, right? There's lots of opportunity for people with ranges of skills, if you will. So Yeah, absolutely. And we also look for diversity of backgrounds, culture, experiences uh-huh. and all that so that we get um you know, we we want to have a very diverse team in all aspects of the term, you know, or the definition of diversity. So that's something that we uh, are actively recruiting for as well. Yeah. Well, kudos to you. Great. That's that's great. I always like to close by asking my guests to wax philosophic, if you will. So get your take on the tremendous potential impact that quantum computing might have on how we live and work. And we all have sort of ideas, but from where you sit, right, as the CEO of an innovative company leading the charge in this space, you know, what's, what's your take? I mean, you, it's got to be something that you know, makes you, you know, get you excited every day to get up and go uh, chase this, uh, this new nation technology based on what kind of impact it might have. Yeah, I mean, I, I joined Adam Computing because this is where I want to spend my time. It's extremely exciting to me um, and the yeah. possibilities of what people can do with it. Um, I don't have a crystal ball and I'm not a philosopher, so I don't know how, <laughs> okay. how much waxing I can do. But, you know, what I, what I, from my point of view, there are some early adopter kind of use cases that are out there. When we talk to customers, they, there are some, you know, kind of buckets of things that people want to do with these early kind of NISC era machines around optimization and simulation, machine learning. Um, and and I think that those will certainly grow as the number of qubits grow. I mean, I talk to customers and they're like, well, I mean, we could do something on a 100 qubit machine, but if you had like three or 4,000, then now we're talking, like, I really know what I'm, I'm, I can do on that. Um, and so we will, we will get there um, and hopefully yeah. sooner rather than later. But I, I do know that it's going to touch every industry and many, many applications. And um, it's, it's going to be both supplementing classical computing, you know, where people mm-hmm. are doing like simulations and things today. They're going to be able to do deeper simulation at the subatomic level to, to um, you know, for example, to, to supplement uh, material science or engineering and things like that, chemistry. Um, but there's also going to be whole new business models and businesses themselves that are, you may become possible because of quantum computing. Um, that just weren't possible before because there wasn't anything like this. And I, I met with a CEO of one at a new startup last week, and she's doing basically input to the funnel to pharma, right? And they're and they're using quantum computer today already to um, to simulate molecules, and and they can simulate you know millions of different you know molecules. They're just making them up, right? And and they can compare them against you know some kind of disease or whatever that they're trying to figure out would these molecules be potentially you know good good for a, a medicine that could treat that or whatever and, and they can very quickly like literally two minutes they can scan millions and millions of different molecules against mm. whatever the problem is and it'll come back and say hey here's you know a thousand that look <sighs> potentially interesting right and then they can turn those back into a hpc cluster and and explore those more more deeply and then um you know, turn that ultimately into IP that they can sell. Again, beyond the limits of what classical computing can do, the level of complexity that quantum can manage. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, fantastic. want to invite people to take a look at your website, adam-computing.com. 
Uh, you guys have a Twitter handle as well, where you're posting ongoing updates and fascinating information about the company at Adam underscore computing. Uh, there's a LinkedIn page. There's a Facebook page. I assume there's a careers page on your site. Are there any particular there areas where you're hiring um, skills you're looking for in the near Quantum term? Engineers, software engineers, um, product people, uh, FPGA engineers. We're, there's, there's, they're up there. There's a lot of different skill sets. And if anyone's interested in joining us um, and they don't see their a job rec posted for, for them, they can reach out anyway. And, and uh, we're, we're building a team and looking for great minds. Well, thank you, Rob. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing your insight and perspective and best of luck to Adam Computing. Thank you, so Chris. We're looking forward to learning more about Adam Computing's next system in 2022. So keep us posted. We'll have our eyes and ears focused on that announcement. Will do. So thanks. thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Glad you could join me. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Quantum Tech Pod. We're delighted to have you here, and thanks for your support. We'll listen to the next one and see you in the future. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.